Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? All were, uh, but Peter stand, nope, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews who, and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I shall pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the, Lord, the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I spent uh, Memorial Day weekend in Princeton, New Jersey so that I could attend the seminary's graduation not to brag or anything, but my best friend did just get her PhD. So all weekend I was surrounded by clergy and seminary students and just like generally churchy people. So naturally I tried to get some fodder for my sermon, just always trying to make my job a little bit easier. Essentially, whenever there was a little bit of downtime or a lull in the conversation, I would turn to one of them and say, so what is the point of Pentecost? I am a remarkable conversationalist. People love to have me at parties. <laughs> but, but I was genuinely curious because Pentecost is a deeply familiar story. It comes around every year, and every year we turn our attention to the Acts of the Apostles and those gathered believers. We watch as the wind of God blows amongst them as tongues of fire light on each of them, and every person is understood in their mother language. We celebrate the miraculous and, let's face it, kind of strange birthday of the church this way every year. So what new things, what new nugget of truth could I wring from this story that we've heard kind, kind of a lot? 
One friend told me about teaching this story to second graders. Uh, Not unlike Pastor Amanda, he cut out ribbons of red flames for the kids to hold up, uh, along with a sign that read 3,000. His point was both to recognize the number of those baptized after witnessing the miraculous event and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The advocate, which was promised by Jesus before his ascension, has arrived in all of her power, and this, of course, marks the beginning of the church. Another friend talked about that powerful spirit and what that power means and does. Of course, without the spirit, there are no tongues of fire, there is no hearing strangers speaking in your language, there is no wild moment of unity and power for these first followers of the risen Christ. The Holy Spirit is powerful, he told me. The power the Spirit wields, however, is not power in the way we often imagine. We tend to think of power as control or rule. Power can be exploitative or divisive, but the Spirit brings liberation and inclusivity. The Spirit creates a community that had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. A community that spent much time together in the temple, breaking bread at home and eating their food with glad and generous hearts. The power of the Spirit brings life and possibility. Still another friend who had recently finished a class on Acts talked about how the Pentecost story is an inversion or a mirror of the Tower of Babel. For those of us who can't, like, immediately dig back in our biblical story archive, we weren't maybe raised Baptist, perhaps. Uh, According to Genesis 11, the whole world spoke one common language, and so humankind decides to build a tower up to heaven. And so God comes down to see what they're doing, Uh, and decides that humans are getting just like a little bit too powerful. Look, God says, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. There is, I think, quite a statement about the power of unity and purpose to be found here, But then God decides to confuse the language of humans so that they're divided and scattered across the face of the earth. In the Babel story, humanity moves from unity to confusion by the power of God. And at Pentecost, those gathered disciples move from confusion or or difference to unity by the power of the Holy Spirit. Though they come from different places and ethnic groups, they all uh, are all understood in a common language. It is unity without uh, homogeneity. And I think it's worth mentioning again what God says in the Babel story about this unity of language and purpose. Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Maybe hold on to that one. Now, clearly, my friends and colleagues did not let me down. I think that all of these interpretations hold water. Pentecost is indeed a beginning. It does bring to mind the Tower of Babel and the power of unity. It does speak to the power of the Holy Spirit. And they weren't all wandering down strange rabbit holes. Ultimately, all of these point to the promises and then to the kingdom of God. That is sort of the heart of Pentecost. 
Before his ascension, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and promised to return to put the earth to rights. And so Pentecost is the launching of a community into the space of waiting, having received the promised Holy Spirit, but waiting for the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. It is, I think, a deeply prophetic moment, and I'm not the only one who thinks so. When the response of the onlookers is fear, confusion, and accusation, Peter immediately turns to the words of the prophets. Well, first, he responds to their accusations of drunkenness by reminding them that it's only 9 a.m., so they couldn't possibly be drinking. Peter has very clearly never been to an airport. Um, This moment, Peter claims, has prophetic significance. He invokes the name of Joel, one of the minor prophets of the Hebrew Bible, and he immediately gets in to the last days. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit. Peter is quick to answer the question of what is happening with, yep, it's the end. And you all know what that means, don't you? It's time for an apocalypse. Because you know that if I can work an apocalypse into my sermon, I will do it every single time. But before we get a little bit to it's the end of the world as we know it, remember that apocalypse just means to reveal or uncover something. So Peter is announcing the end of this present age and the beginning of an age to come, the age of the reign of God. For Peter, the unusual tongues of fire and abilities of speech are signs that God's reign is imminent that God will ultimately redeem God's people. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they will prophesy." There is an inclusivity and a broadening in the words that Peter recites. So it it turns out that Pentecost is an intergenerational, intersectional movement, and, you know, we love to see it. Pentecost is this moment where the Spirit uh, Spirit of God has been poured out onto humanity. This is God's vision, God's hope for the world, that moved by the Spirit, all people, male and female, young and old, slave and free, will speak for the Lord. They will claim God's vision and plan as their own and then carry the good news out into the world. So when we say that Pentecost is the birthday of the church, we're not entirely wrong, but it is much, much more than that. Walter Brueggemann said that Pentecost is both an end and a beginning. It is the leaving behind of that which is past and the launching forth of what is only just beginning to be. Pentecost, therefore, is not a time of completion. It is a moving forward into a new dimension of being whose basic forms are clear but whose fulfillment is yet to be realized. And as we move forward into this new beginning, we have a job to do. This newly birthed church is tasked with carrying the kingdom of God out into the world. Sort of unlike other holy days in the church, Pentecost gives us marching orders. It so unambiguously requires that we carry the gospel out into the world and blow our own covers. 
It's one thing to adore the infant Jesus and another to mourn the death of Jesus in our insular communities. It is something else, something very else, to proclaim the gospel in every action that we take. And here is where we turn to this morning's other prophet. Habakkuk is structured like a conversation between the prophet and God. Habakkuk presents a complaint or a concern, and God responds. And our text for this morning is God's response. Something is coming, God promises. I have a vision of the way the world could be. Watch for it and then share it. Put it on a billboard so that everyone passing by can see it. Let folks know what I'm about by letting them know what you're about. Now, there was one more person I asked about Pentecost. I asked the newly minted doctor what she thinks Habakkuk is going on about. What is this vision we're meant to post so a runner can see it? Because, as it were, her dissertation was titled A Vision for the Appointed Time. She said it's, it's pointing to the promise that God will act for and with us and for our good for the sake of the promises God has already made and will carry out. So when we think of the appointed time, that vision is dependent on remaining in alignment with God, because we won't know the time, nor can we know what to look for without watching and listening and remaining. So of course that doesn't mean that we stand still, but it does mean that we are given a vocation to look and watch and wait. And perhaps then, to our surprise, that means that we have to get up off of our backsides. We're not just watching the world pass by, we're watching God. And we can't watch God and then do nothing. There is a divine vision for what the church and what community can and perhaps should be. And Pentecost, more than this celebration of the Spirit, more than the church's birthday, is the time to evaluate whether or not our vision is in line uh, with the kingdom of God, because we know very clearly that the Spirit of God has blown in with these gifts of freedom and inclusion and power, and so we have to decide what we're going to do with them. How are we going to post that vision for all to see? Uh, During the first Pride Parade in Atlanta, a church along the parade route was concerned that the participants would loot their church. This is a true story. Worried that the parade was going to be an angry, destructive riot, they boarded up their doors and their windows, and they hired security to keep their building safe. Now, another church, which was just down the road from this one, they also did some preparation for the parade. They made sandwiches and drinks. And women from the church, they stood on the steps and on the sidewalk uh, with the church's silver serving trays, uh, overflowing with food, so that the parade participants would have sustenance for their journey. I think it goes without saying that not a lick of damage was done to that first church, and I imagine a lot of sandwiches were distributed by the second. Both of those churches had a vision of who they were, Both churches aligned themselves with something, and both churches put that vision on display. They hung it up so that anyone passing by could see, and I don't think that I 
need to work out for y'all which community was following the lead of the spirit of liberation and inclusivity, which community had been watching God. Very soon, this congregation will celebrate its 100th anniversary. For nearly a century, this church uh, has been seeking to be led by the Spirit to align itself with the kingdom of God. And we have posted many signs to that effect over the years, whether it was in the affirmation of female leadership long before it was the norm or standing in public spaces uh, and speaking loudly about the sacred humanity of our LGBTQ siblings or inviting children into our worship space or you know, putting a recycling bin around every corner. We have been laboring to be aligned with the vision for the appointed time working to show what God is about by showing the world what we are about, by posting a sign for the runner to see. But now we have to ask, as we approach this monumental time, what vision do we have for these next few years and then the next hundred beyond that? How will we seek to be aligned with God as we move forward? What do we dream for Beth? and for the other children of this congregation, or perhaps what dream do they dream for us? And we know, of course, that dreaming, visioning, and hoping is only the beginning. How will we claim God's vision and plan as our own and then carry it out into the world? Because the Spirit will blow us out of this sanctuary, out into the world, a world that is too dangerous and too broken and too divided for us to just sit by idly, This Pentecost, how will we evaluate ourselves, discern where our actions and God's vision intersects? We have committed to being a Matthew 25 congregation, so what tangible things will we do? What decisions will we make? What truths will we post that we may be aligned with the work of ending structural racism and systemic poverty? When we participate in Atlanta Pride in the fall, what will we say? How will we offer love and hope and acceptance to the folks that we meet there? As we seek to be hopeful and committed and inclusive and welcoming of all people in every area of our church, we must have tough conversations and relinquish control and create spaces and designate money and commit resources to making that happen, to making the vision clear enough for the runner to see. If we won't, we have to ask ourselves if our vision is actually aligned with the kingdom of God. So what is the point of Pentecost? It is a day of fulfilled promises and a day of launching forward into something new. It is a day to be bold, to hope, to seek to be better. Pentecost fills us with a spirit that we may carry the gospel out into the world. For this is only the beginning of what we will do, and nothing that we propose to do for the kingdom of God will be impossible. Amen.